So the parable of the sower. So last week we had Jono's sermon uh, where Jesus is preaching in a house and someone comes in to say, you know, your mother and your brothers are here. And so this picks up where Jesus is still in that house. So starting from verse, uh, sorry, chapter 13, starting from verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear for I tell you the truth many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it listen then to what the parable of the sower means when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. All right, keep your Bibles open and your phone Bibles open. Uh, Matthew 13, that'd be really, really handy. I've been excited about preaching on this for weeks. I've been excited about preaching in general uh, for a couple of weeks now. But this is such a great passage, I'm just going to keep an eye on the time. So that's what I'm doing with my phone. Um, all right, I'll pray as we dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, our Saviour and Lord Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for his ministry in the world to those who were there before him 
and to us 2,000 years later through your word, the Bible. Uh, Help us to listen now. Help us to uh, consider how we receive uh, your word through Christ and through uh, your Bible. Uh, By your Holy Spirit, work in us to receive your word with thanksgiving and to be fruit bearers, we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Who likes gardening? Hands up. Who likes gardening? Yeah, I like gardening as well, although I don't find a whole lot of time uh, for gardening as much as I'd like. And uh, the reality of gardening is that, you know, it's hit and miss, isn't it? You know, sometimes you plant things and they go gangbusters and sometimes they die and sometimes they just grow kind of lame. Um, so it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a lottery. I mean, you can plant the same seeds kind of side by side in the same garden and give them the same fertiliser and same water and same love and they're roughly in the same spot. But for some reason, one plant will go gangbusters, the other one will die. It doesn't make any sense. Um, for example, here's a picture of the three rose bushes out the front of my and Lara's house. It was three. I promise. It was three, side by side, one in the middle, one on the right of the window. And now there's one, looking a bit scraggly. But anyway, we'll sort it out. Um, two died. And, and this one, actually, we, we, Lara gives it a bit of love, which I, you know, not heaps, but a bit of love. Um, and it'll, it'll have a hundred roses on it in bloom every year at one point or another. It's, it's amazing. It just keeps going. Right now, you can't tell. There's about 50 buds on it uh, at the moment. Now, here's a picture of Joel and Michelle Hasler's hedge at the front of their place. Joel lovingly planted the same seeds in the same soil and the same... And some are taller than others. Why? It doesn't make any sense. It's bizarre. Now, Joel also planted the same seeds six months later on the other side of the driveway, and they look like that. Look at that. That's amazing. That's what that is supposed to look like. It's all supposed to look like that, right? But it doesn't. It's, uh, it's hit and miss. It's frustrating. Talk to Joel and see just how much love and care he's given. He's given him water and fertilizer. He, he pats them. He says goodnight to them. <laughs> he's given them a lot of love. And he's got this and this. It doesn't make any sense, but it's true. And the same can be said for hearing and sharing the gospel, which is exactly what you were thinking, weren't you? You were thinking, this is just like evangelism, right? Wrong, you probably weren't. But it is, and you're going to see that today uh, in the passage. Gardening is a really good illustration for evangelism and for the sharing uh, of God's word in the world. So please keep your Bibles open if you've closed them or shut your app, open it back up. Um, You may have noticed if uh, you're been around a while and maybe you haven't if you're new-ish here I don't put the passage on the screen um, because I expect as Christians we'll bring our Bibles along uh, or at least open up our phone app for ourselves and read the passage and study the passage for ourselves I like having my Bible after a while you get to know where things are in the Bible in your own Bible so I commend you to bring your own Bible uh, to church um But if you're new, we have Bibles over there. And if you're new and don't own a Bible, please take a Bible home and keep it. All right, so Matthew 13 uh, and verse 1. By now, Jesus has quite a following. He's got all these people uh, who are following him along, keen to hear what he's got to say. 
Uh, he's got quite the crowd. He's pretty popular. Uh, he's just explained in a house that his mother and brothers, his family are those who do the will of his father in heaven. That's who his family is. He's, he's less concerned about blood relatives and more concerned about spiritual relatives, those who trust in him and obey his father. And now he heads out kind of away from the town, out into sort of the, I don't know, out of the town. And he finds himself beside a lake and there's so many people there crowding around him who want to hear what he's got to say that he kind of creates a little stage by hopping in a little boat and pushing it out from shore. So he kind of makes this stage uh, for himself away from the people. So he's out from the shore and all the people are there on the land and he does that so that, so that they can all hear him. But there's another reason going on as well uh, that we'll get to in a moment. So you can picture the scene. Now, this is, this is a golden opportunity for Jesus to really assert himself as a popular leader in the day. You know, the people, they've, they've walked away from the Pharisees and the temple and the establishment, and they're following this guy out into the wilderness. And, they, you know, this is great. This, he's got this great following. Now he can teach them, and now he can really galvanise his following uh, behind himself. He can really build a name for himself here with all these people, right? Um, so, this, you know, this has got potential, this scene. But look at verse 3, um, for some reason, Jesus doesn't seem to think it's necessarily great that all these people are there, and he doesn't seem interested in growing his following, growing his followers to be kind of insta-influencer. He's not interested in being a, that kind of person. He's, he speaks in riddles so that no one can actually understand him. Look at verse 3 in your Bible. Then, when he was out there in the boat... He told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Everyone's like, what? What is that supposed to mean? I'm sure no one understood what Jesus was talking about at that point in time. He spoke in a riddle. He's got this opportunity. He's not interested in making a name for himself. He speaks in parables deliberately to confuse people. Why does he do this? Why does he speak in parables? Well, there's at least three reasons that we see in the next eight verses. And he tells us, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. So, sorry. <clears throat> so verse 10, sorry, the disciples came to him and they asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? So now I think we've moved... this to perhaps the people have gone oh this is i don't make any sense to me and they just wandered off and he's come back to shore and my impression is that he's now got his disciples the ones who are really genuinely interested in him not just what he can give them but him they've kind of gathered around and they're close like this this smaller group of people and they say why do you speak in parables they, they, they're inquiring they want to know more why do you speak in parables lord and he says to them, verse 11, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, 
but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they'll have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. Notice that he's moving away from the city. The Pharisees' hearts are hardened. He's not interested in teaching people whose hearts are hardened against him. He teaches in riddles. A lot of the crowd lose interest. That's what he wants. But some of the crowd, the disciples, are still interested. They want to know more. And it's to them that God has entrusted some of his wisdom and knowledge. And it's to them that more will be given. But to those who have a little bit from Jesus but aren't really interested in pursuing him any further, what they have is taken away. The parables divide. They divide those who have genuine interest in Jesus from those who do not. The parables teach truths about the kingdom of God, but they're only for those to whom God has given eyes to see. Election, predestination is going on here. God chooses some to, who will understand his word, who will seek out Jesus, who will want to know more, who will investigate. But to many who hear something of the gospel, they'll walk away. Those who genuinely come to Jesus to trust him, even when they don't fully comprehend what's going on, like the disciples at this point, they find rest for their souls in Jesus. So look on again at, um, at verse 13. And he explains further. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they don't hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So to give you a bit of background, during the Old Testament, the time of Isaiah, God spoke to Isaiah and he said this, what's just been written down for us. He made it clear that salvation would come through judgment, that Israel needed to be judged. In order to bring blessing to the world, Israel had to be judged. They'd hardened their hearts against him and God allowed the Babylonians to come in and conquer Jerusalem and to take many away into exile. But God saved a chosen remnant and brought them back from exile, his precious people through whom he continued his ministry and his work. And the same's happening here with Jesus. God's not going to intervene and, and make it such that everyone will believe. He's not going to do that. Judgment must come and his judgment will fall upon Jesus. And this is how it has to be. Jesus must die for the sins of the world and rise again. It's how it has to be. And it's the only way that salvation can be made available to not only Israel, but to all the world, is through God's judgment placed upon Christ. 
God can choose to leave people to their own sinful rebelliousness, which is just. To leave us in our sin and our rebellion is just. But in his extreme kindness and mercy, God chooses a faithful remnant for himself and turns their hearts to him so that they have ears to hear. It's to the church that God reveals himself. So look at verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see. Blessed are your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you did, long to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Jesus is a long awaited Messiah that many of the prophets proclaimed about. They prophesied that he would come, but they never got to see him. But the disciples have seen him, and through God's word, we see him as well. It's not so much that you fully understand Christianity and then you come to Jesus. That's not where the disciples are at, and that's not where Jesus expects them to be. The point is that you come to Jesus to learn from him, to submit yourself to him, to humble yourself before him. And it's then that you grow in your understanding of who he is and what he's doing in the world. Jesus says, become like a little child. Depend on me completely. And to you, I will give the secrets of the kingdom. So one of the kind of, one of the marks, I suppose, of those who who, as far as faith is concerned, are rejected, is they can learn and learn and learn about the Bible, but never come to a knowledge of the truth. They never understand the truth. And with that, we finally come to the thing that Jesus reveals to his disciples, hence the thing Jesus wants us, his church, to know and understand. So the parable is then explained to his disciples, this smaller group who's hung around, to learn from the master. So Jesus explains there's four different ways that people respond to him, that people receive his word. Four different ways. There's more, but here are four ways that people uh, respond to him positively. Some people just reject him flat out. Don't want to hear it. Don't even talk to me. Plenty of people are like that, and you've met people like that, right? But this is the four different types of people who actually listen to Jesus. This is the four types of people who, for whom God's word is sown in their heart. But only one of these groups becomes a Christian, becomes a follower of Jesus. The fourth group. So here's the first group. Look at verse 18 in your Bibles. We're working left to right in the pictures. Verse 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path, the hard path there on the left. So the seed scattered, some falls on the hard path where it can't take root. <clears throat> this is the person who receives the word of God. I was struck by this bit. Sown in the heart, it says, in verse 19. But they do nothing with that good word. 
that they heard and Satan delights to quickly snatch it away like a bird who comes down and eats the seed off the path. And sadly, I can think of many people like this. I can think of many people who come to church at Easter and Christmas only and they hear the gospel taught and they go away and do nothing with it and it's gone until the next Christmas when they come and hear it again. Time and again, God's word is sown and time and again snatched away uh, from those people, which is tragic. Secondly, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So second from the left, you see the little tiny plant in the soil amongst the rocks, okay? We've got these little weeds under our trampoline that are growing in compacted road base. How they do this, I do not know. It's not good soil. And they're not particularly healthy plants. They're just little weeds. Again, the person receives God's word with joy, it says. It's startling. But it's the, the seed, the roots are shallow. And then hardship comes or persecution, they go back to work and they're like, oh, you going to go to church for last month, what are you doing that for? That's ridiculous, you're right. It is ridiculous, so I'm going to stop. Hardship comes, persecution comes. Like a shallow root planted among the rocks on a hot summer's day in Australia, it quickly wilts and dies. And I've seen this too. As a young adult in church, Without the foundation of a family myself who took me to church every week and taught me the word of God at home, I struggled. I went along to church and I got all excited about Jesus at times and then I got distracted with my mates at work, with, with partying and that kind of stuff. I, I would stop going to church for a time and by God's grace, my friends from church would kind of bring me back and I'd come back with great joy but then I'd... Get us go astray in pursuing wealth acquisition or something like that. And there was this ebb and flow for me. I was like the seed planted in the rocks. It just couldn't take deep roots. The temptations were just too great. The roots were just too shallow. I struggled. And I thank God from the bottom of my heart for my friends who persevered with me and kept on bringing me back to church. A word to parents. Please teach your children the Bible at home. Often, teach them to pray. Talk to them about the things of God. Make sure they establish deep, deep roots, particularly when they're little, kind of up to high school age. Because there's not a whole lot of things that are sort of going to just press them. There's not a whole lot of hardships they're going to come or persecutions they're going to face in the first 10 or 12 years following Jesus. But then they'll come. And I don't know what that's like to be a high schooler following Jesus, but Bethany just grinned. There's lots of Christians in the room who do know what it's like. You can talk to Bethany. There's lots. Lots of you know what it's like. It's hard, isn't it? And you need deep roots. Please keep bringing them to church. Please persevere with the children's programs when they're little. I know it's hard. 
And I know they don't want to go, but I'll get used to it eventually, I promise. Mine did. Ray hated it, but, you know, he got there. He got there eventually. Get him to kids' club. I was at kids' club on Friday afternoon, sitting with, I think, eight parents from Gladeswood Hills and two from Harrington Park, and my heart was bursting with joy. It was so good. There were so many parents there from Gladeswood Hills whose kids were in, uh, having a great time and learning about Jesus. Get him in a kids' club, then get him in a youth group. Prioritise as the number one priority the spiritual formation of your children. Spiritual formation. Then the other things, education, sport, music, whatever. Spiritual formation, then the other things. Kai's into violin at the moment, that's cool. Ray plays soccer, that's great. They're doing well at school and I'm glad. More important, they're doing well spiritually for now and I'll keep working at that as will Lara and we'll keep praying. My greatest fear in life, as I'm sure is yours, is that when the pressure of teen years come on my children, they will fall away. All right, third type of soil, verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word and it takes root, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. I've got a question. It's a live question, so I can have a drink. What are some of the worries of this world other than wealth? Because Jesus has singled that out. What are some of the other worries of this world? Yes, happiness, yes. The Bible doesn't promise happiness, does it? Yep, yep, unemployment. There's lots and lots of worries. And the worries of this life can choke out the gospel if we're not careful. I don't think this is a word to Christians to say, watch out for the weeds and thorns that they choke out God's word in you. He's talking to his people. This is a word to Christians. And Jesus' promise is to keep those who the Father has given him, that they will persevere to the end. However, (laughs) this is a word to those who are considering Christ. Are the worries of this life choking out what root you have of God's word in your life? For Christians, I think certainly we ought to consider, are we putting a priority are living for Christ, are we trusting in him first and foremost? And I th- we'll, get, we'll get to that in a little bit later. But I think this is a word to people, 
a real, a real words of people who are yet to put their trust in Jesus. Are, you know, are the worries of this life, is wealth more of a concern than eternal life in Christ? If so, those worries will choke out God's word in you. I've been reading this book lately called Contentment, Prosperity and God's Glory. It's written by a Puritan I mentioned at the start of church. Um, he says that the Christian who doesn't have a lot, they're not necessarily impoverished, they just don't have a lot. The Christian who doesn't have a lot but they're content with what they have is like a ship at sea with lots and lots of space to honour God, lots and lots of room to manoeuvre. It's kind of easy to honour God when you don't have a lot of material wealth, when you've just got enough, he says. It's not as hard to find contentment. It's not as hard to honour God with your life. Conversely, the Christian who is very wealthy, which is all of us, if not most of us, is kind of like a ship going down a channel and the land is close and the rocks are close and shipwreck is close. And it's kind of the wealth, the concerns crowd us in. And they make contentment hard, actually. Isn't that kind of counterintuitive? Expect if you've got wealth, you'll be content. But that's not how it works. So I'm not saying sell everything like the kind of rich guy I was told to by Jesus. But I am saying we need to be on our guard when it comes to contentment. Because wealth makes being content hard. And the more you have, the harder it is, the more the wealth kind of crowds in on you as you try to live your life for Christ. Uh, Paul, as we read in Philippians 4.12, was poor and at times he was wealthy. And as was this Puritan. He experienced both being poor and having lots and he found it easier to honour God when he was poor. Anyway, that was a bit of a side note. Good soil. Verse 23. The seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And they produce a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. 30 times is heaps. 100 is amazing. This is the follower of Jesus who delights in his word. Look at all those followers of Jesus delighting in his word. Um, Bumper harvests. She fears falling away. She reads her Bible each day to be reminded of God's truths. She's careful not to be overly worried with the concerns of the world. She's worried about things. Of course she is. We all are, but not overly concerned. She trusts God. She prays. She brings her worries to the Lord and lays them before him. Consequently, she produces fruit for the Lord. Perhaps 30 times what was sown in her. Perhaps 60, perhaps even 100 times over the course of her life or more. She bears fruit for his kingdom, kingdom fruit. What's kingdom fruit? Thinking, saying, doing things that have eternal consequences, not just temporary consequences. There's lots of things that we have to do that just have temporary consequences. We have to work. Chris is an electrician. He goes, he wires something up. When judgment comes, the thing he wired up is going to burn in the fires of judgment. It's temporary, but it's important because right now we need electricity, (laughs) right? So what he does now is great, but it's temporary. But 
Kingdom fruit is things that last. It's living a godly life as you work. It's sharing the gospel when you get an opportunity. It's teaching your children the gospel. There was this great example at men's conference yesterday um, from Dave Jensen. And, and he, I can't explain it again, but he explained how the word came from this kind of, not this, this average Joe guy who led a youth group and he taught uh, his kids, he found out he had terminal cancer. And he kind of went to town on these teenagers that he had and he taught them the gospel. And then, as it turns out, the one of the ones that he taught the gospel taught someone else and someone else and someone else and someone else. And then Billy Graham. And then Billy Graham came to Australia and Dave Jensen's father was converted at the Billy Graham crusade. Like, that's kingdom fruit. That's multiplying and multiplying over the years. That's exciting. As we do ministry for Jesus, God can use it mightily, not just in our life but in lives to come. So to conclude, the reality of God's kingdom is that it is full of people, men, women, boys and girls, who bear fruit for Jesus. They think and say and do things that benefit Jesus rather than the world. They're growing in their understanding of who Jesus is every day until they die. They heed the warnings about falling away for themselves and for their kids. Their lives aren't perfect, we all sin, but by and large, their lives are orientated towards Christ, the Lord of the harvest. And so how do we apply this? Well, there are hard questions I think we need to ask ourselves as Christians. I think this causes us, I think, you know, the good soil is the Christian, the other three are not Christians, but I think... This causes us to pause and ask ourselves questions. Am I interested in learning more about Jesus every day? Or am I just kind of got what I know and I'm happy with that and I'm pretty complacent? Am I reading the Bible regularly? Am I heeding Jesus' warnings about falling away seriously and taking godliness and holiness seriously? Am I bearing fruit for God's kingdom or just my kingdom? Our kingdom, perhaps. Now, this isn't meant to be guilt-inducing. It's not. And many of you have young kids and babies, and it's really hard to be reading your Bible all the time, but what can you do? Can you play some Christian music while you're breastfeeding or something? Can you get God's Word into you somehow? Husbands, can you read the Bible to your wife while she's breastfeeding? You Probably not, because you've probably got two other kids you've got to deal with. But you know what I'm saying. How do we focus, like, just orientated towards Christ, the best we can, with where we're at, clinging to his promises, remembering that those who put their trust in Jesus like you lot, you cannot fall away. Jesus will keep you to the end. You cannot fall away. But at the same time, we want to bear fruit. And what hampers that is, is the worries of the world and the weeds of the world crowding in even on us. We're called to not be complacent. And can I say, as I look around the room, I don't see people who are complacent, largely. Um, my absence has added a weight of responsibility to many. Certainly the leadership, and they've stepped up superbly, and I'm thankful from the bottom of my heart for you all. Uh, making church go, continue to go, and I'm, you know, what a great church we have. Doesn't need the minister. It's great. <laughs> But maybe this does apply to you. Maybe you are a bit complacent about your Lord and Saviour. 
Or maybe, maybe you're still exploring Jesus and, and the worries of this life are just crowding in. And you need to say, you know what? I'm going to trust in him. I don't fully understand all that's happening here with Jesus and the Bible and all that. But I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. I'm going to stick around. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to him and follow him. And I'm going to throw myself in with him. And keep listening, keep learning until I understand. Because he's promised he will help us understand. And finally, the reality of evangelism or gardening for God, I've called it. Um, Adam and Eve were told to tend the garden, right? That was, well, we are told to share the gospel in the world with living things, people. And then nurture that gospel in one another as we come to Christ. We know from 1 Corinthians 3, it's our job to plant the seed. That's spread the gospel. It's our job to water it as well, to kind of keep persevering with those people you've shared the gospel with and encouraging them. But it's God who gives the growth. God who gives the growth. We may plant three rose bushes side by side and two may die. But one may live and produce a hundred roses, a hundredfold fruit. You might share the gospel with three people and two reject it, but one may not. They might put their trust in Jesus. They might bear fruit and have kids and pass on the gospel. And you don't know what God might do through that person that you share the gospel with faithfully, yourself. As faithful gardeners for God, our job is not to be motivated by results, who grows up and who doesn't, but rather be motivated by God who longs to save many. As faithful gardeners, do not be surprised when people reject the word. But as people who trust in Jesus, do not be surprised when they don't either. You didn't. You're here. Others can be here too. If we just share the gospel, someone shared the gospel with you. Thank God for them right now in the quiet. Thank you, Matthew. Who can you share the gospel with too? Dave Jensen said at the men's conference yesterday, the greatest obstacle to the growth of the gospel in Australia is the church. It's not opposition, it's not politics, it's not liberal agendas, it's the church. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We are the ones who need to share the gospel. Pray for the lost, sure. More to the point, pray for yourself. Pray for yourself that you will share the gospel with your friends and family. Invite them to Easter. Invite them to Mark drama. Invite them to read the Bible with you. Invite them to have a conversation. Just start a conversation. What did you do on the weekend? I went to the park. What did you do? I went to church. You go to church? Yes, it's that easy. Let me pray. Loving Father, Almighty God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for life through him. <clears throat> we thank you for all in this church that you've had mercy on and been pleased to save. And Lord, we pray that you will use us mightily uh, to share the gospel with many others and that you will be pleased uh, to grow your gospel in others that they might produce a crop 30, 60 or 100 times. Lord, for those in the room who are still not sure, we pray 
You help them to trust in Jesus, though they still have questions. Help them to follow him, come to him like children, dependent, and to learn and understand, which you've promised to give us is more understanding. Lord, I pray uh, for all of us here and not here in our church who are just doing it tough, just life is hard uh, for all sorts of different reasons, young children being a popular one. Um, Lord, help us to be orientated towards Christ as best we can, uh, whatever that looks like. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us one another to support one another, that we might help one another, pray for one another, encourage one another to live for Christ, make decisions for Christ. Help us to hear you speak through your word, the Bible, through your word in song, through your word in other Christians. Help us to hear you speak each day, uh, even when it's really hard and we're energy and time poor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.